God of the prophets, bless the prophets' heirs. Fill them with power. Their lips make eloquent for righteousness that all evil break. Amen. On Friday morning, I had a sermon. And then Friday happened, and I was speechless. The first thing I thought was, how will I teach the girls in this congregation to lean into the tradition when they are trying to make sense of the world? How will I be a pastor to the women who have shaped their decisions and patterned their lives after Jesus? How will I be a priest to all people on every side of this complicated issue who in the name of the same God have committed to different purposes and different directions for their lives? How will my three boys hear me proclaim God's gospel imperative in this moment? when all the world seems upside down and everything that I have taught them about what is good and right is for sale to the highest bidder here in America and really everywhere. How will I tell the congregation I love about the God of whom the psalmist sings, the one that makes me sing, my heart, therefore, is glad, and my spirit rejoices. How will I sing the next line? My body also shall rest in hope, when it feels like my body is under attack. How could I convince them of what Paul wrote to the Galatians, that for freedom Christ has set us free? when even in America, lots of us feel anything but free? How could I make them believe that the whole law is summed up in a single commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. When today's laws, made mostly by Christians, have nothing to do with love. How can I stand before you and tell you that the ways of the world are not the ways of the church? When the truth is, the church has been telling me what to do with my body and my mind and my spirit, for that matter, since the first day I self-identified as a Christian. How can I say that every child is beloved? when my sisters, especially those in poverty and living on the margins, believe that they are anything but treasured, worry that their bodies are a danger to them, are told that their minds are not capable of making decisions, and feel that their voices have been silenced. How can I say the words 
of the Eucharistic service. Written and maintained by a patriarchal institution that demonstrates in its liturgy that everything that is holy and divine is male. How can I open my sermon in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? How can I channel God's good news in this sermon and speak louder than the liturgy that I love? How can I faithfully pray the Our Father? How can I recite the Creed one more time without naming the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, as anything but female? How can I faithfully be a priest of this tradition and at the same time be true to the God who chose to make me a woman, gave me a woman's body, and who, knowing that I was a woman, made me a priest in this church. All day, all weekend, I've been torn open, like all of you, about a myriad of things. I've been heartbroken, not because of my opinion on the actions of the Supreme Court or any moral convictions I have about the right to choose or even my stance on abortion, which I promise you, you do not know about me, even if you think you do. I'm heartbroken because the one thing I hope you do know about me that when anyone's heart breaks, mine breaks too. My heart, and I believe the heart of God that dwells in me, breaks when half of God's creation is being subjugated to the other half of God's creation. When even one of God's people is pitted up and against another when wrestling for power triumphs over wrestling for love, when the world is in turmoil and the poor and the marginalized bear the burden, when the fear of who is next keeps us up at night. I think God's heart breaks when creation has become a world where anyone's humanity is threatened, especially one where women aren't given equal status as men, where their bodies don't matter, where their experience is not validated, where what they know in their heart is not trusted, when their divine nature is not recognized. This is not the kingdom of God. God made us. We are gods, all of us. We are all holy in God's sight. The world and the nation, and yes, friends, even the church, need to get to work on this. Lifting up 
the humanity of all. The oppression, the subjugation, and the silencing of any of God's children, in this case women, is an abomination to God. Because God's dream for the kingdom is equality. Because Jesus made disciples, male and female. Because the Holy Spirit isn't captive to a certain gender, race, or nation, but descends equally on us all. Which is kind of funny, because that's the sermon that I had written on Friday. That the kingdom of God comes to anyone who surrenders to the ways of God and follows Jesus on the way and lets the Holy Spirit guide them into fullness of life without diminishing anyone else's humanity. It is then, and only then, that we see glimpses of the kingdom instead of the ruin which our human will begets. It just took me a few days to get there. It took me 10 hours of silence with God. It took the confidence of some good friends and many, many, many edits of the sermon. It took me reading the letter from the presiding bishop that Timothy has distributed for you to remember to see again that my job is to lean into the tradition and to make my voice heard in the way I feel called. It took me rereading the resolution from the 1994 General Convention of the Church to remember that my church, our church, had my back and my body. It took me realizing that surrendering to God, it isn't conditional to the whims of the world. And following in the way of Jesus is not subjective to the circumstances of my life. And that the Holy Spirit, she is hovering over us, regardless of the state of the union. God is good. Not just when the nation is at peace. Not just when the laws are fair. Not just when the divides between us are bridged. It's never been like that. We don't walk in the way of Jesus only when the world accommodates it. That's why Jesus chose a different path. The path to true life, even though it led to death. The Holy Spirit... She never waits to descend only when the kingdom comes. God gave us a covenant to live into so that we would know peace and love and joy despite the circumstances of the world. Jesus came to show us the way, not because the world is full of happiness and affirmation and ease, but to demonstrate that discipleship is worth it. The Spirit came to help us find our truest selves because the world will never offer us that, whether we are male or female or somewhere in between, old or young or in between, gay or straight or in between, black or white or in between, 
Christian or atheist or in between Republican or Democrat or in between marginalized or privileged or in between sick or well or in between in agreement with the Supreme Court or appalled with it or somewhere in between. We are all given the same directive. Yes, even us women. We are all full of humanity and full of divinity, capable of bearing Christ in the world and bringing about the kingdom of God. We are all born with the fruits of the Spirit. They aren't traits we acquire or get if we're good. God created us to know love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and to live into that. The Holy Spirit came to right our ships, to turn us around, to give us a guide for how to live our lives, one very different from the life the tabloids and the media streams and the billboards advertise. It's just that somewhere along the way, we forgot that the Spirit dwells in all of us, and the subjugation of any is to the detriment of all. We forgot to look to where the Spirit was redirecting us and going where she leads us. We got caught up in our story, not God's story. Like the disciples in today's gospel, we but first did when Jesus said, follow me. We had other things to do when Jesus invited us to be his disciples, to know and live the good life, to bring the stranger in to gather at table together, to clothe the naked and soothe the suffering and feed the hungry. We thought we knew more than God and justified postponing following Jesus' way and his teaching and his healing acts and his open-hearted generosity because it just didn't fit our agenda. I mean, all this time, we've been offered a way out of a life with enmities and strife and anger and factions and fleshy human ways, and we closed our ears to it. We didn't receive the good news, or maybe we didn't believe it, that God's way was actually a better way. We tried it our way and kept saying, yes, but first let me but first, let me get everything straightened out here. But first, let me make sure I have enough. But first, let's be sure it's safe. But first, can I see the plan? But first, you fill in the blank. We have a thousand reasons for not living out, proclaiming, and following the way. And some of them are even pretty well-intentioned, but they never produce the kingdom. I mean, look where we've ended up. Look around. Our way isn't getting us anywhere. Our best intentions aren't getting us anywhere closer 
to the kingdom. We are using this world reasoning and hoping for an otherworldly reality. Yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but. I did it on Friday. I thought to myself, I'd preach, but I'm frustrated with the church's complicit nature. I'd pursue love and joy and peace, but I'm mad at my neighbor. I'd be patient and kind and generous, but I have to fight for the poor. I'd be faithful and gentle and use self-control, but someone has to do something. <laughs> What a joke. I was like James and John, ready to command fire to come down from heaven and consume us all. The Supreme Court, the leaders of the nations at war, even the church. I mean, it's actually kind of funny telling Jesus we think we know what God wants or acting like raging or fighting or violence is some kind of act of service to God. God doesn't want that. Jesus never asked for that. Jesus asked us to follow him, to let go of our fear and our rage and our agenda, and to surrender to the ways of God, to walk in his steps, and to bring about the kingdom. Jesus said, follow me unequivocally, no matter whether things are going your way or not. No matter whether the empire reflects your views or not. No matter whether you feel like it or not. Jesus said, follow me unconditionally. Not if the nation is on your side. Not if the church is a flawless institution. Not if everyone agrees with you. Jesus said, follow me before you try to fix the things that are broken, before you settle things back home, regardless of what is behind you or chasing after you or dragging you down, follow me, because it will get you where you need to go. It's that simple. Love God, love your neighbor, let the fruits of the Spirit Be your guidepost and your compass. Go and tell, and you will be a disciple. And you will know peace. And you will bring about the kingdom, regardless of how hostile the world may be to your call. Life always follows death. And today, especially today, when the world is broke, and wars, and earthquake, and poverty, and hunger, and hate, and disparities, and inequity, and injustice seem to prevail. Our best hope is in following Jesus's way, if we hope for something different. Hang in there with me. The fact is, God created us to be very different than what we are being right now. How we treat each other, how we live with each other, how we love each other, how we lay down our lives with each other. And if we want to turn things around, we have to start walking in the way 
living into our calling, realizing everyone's full humanity. And that is never going to happen because the Supreme Court mandated. It's going to happen because disciples should sign up and they show up and they walk in the ways of God and they follow Jesus' call and let the Spirit guide them into truth. The truth that we were born for good. I have to encourage you to do this. And you have to encourage me to do this. We have to keep coming to church despite its imperfections. We have to keep believing that our bodies, our experiences, our divinity is not up for debate, regardless of how you identi identify, because God said it was so, and because Jesus showed us it was true. We have to keep looking at our tradition and working hard to reform it. We have to keep speaking our truth despite the danger so that we can protect the poor and marginalized who will undoubtedly feel the burden of the votes of the rich and powerful. And we have to work hard to repair the institutions that breed inequity. The laws and the policies of this nation, even of the church we love. We have to keep making peaceful protest whenever hate tries to win over love. We have to keep loving our enemy. We have to keep leaning into the God of the psalmist and sing our praises even louder. We have to try harder to be the person who chooses love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We have to quit the but first and follow Jesus even when we think we have really good reasons to put him off. We have to surrender to God's plan for salvation. We have to let the Spirit guide us and go where she leads. We have to set our faces towards Jerusalem because this is where the things of the world were completely overturned. And I want to go there. Don't you?